Hello and welcome back to Law Student Essentials. And we have a very nice episode today. Today will actually be our last episode of season two. <laughs> We've had a lot of fun this season, yes. more than last season. And we were thinking about changing the channel and so that it reflects our journey through law school. Right. As we approach 3L year, which is the last year of law school, mm-hmm. we want to actually make it more practice-related. Yes. And I will be focusing more on intellectual property law. And Benny, what about you? I will focus more on transactional law, perhaps banking, finance, and in the transactional field. Right. And we will invite more guests, interesting guests, and inspirational guests. Yes. From diverse fields, right? It should be a lot of fun. Uh And I think it will be more, uh, there will be more learning taking place. Right, right. For us as well. Right. All right. Now, today's episode, we will be focusing on finals because right now this is the period where law students will be taking their final exams Mm -hmm. for their classes. Right. And I think it's important to cover some study tips, some general exam taking tips that are useful, that we find useful. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think we should share some lessons. So let's start with just studying tips. Now, before you take the exam, you want to make sure that you have a good grasp of the material that you covered in class Mm -hmm. and that you're ready to apply what you learn to a fact pattern or whatever format the the exam will be in. Right. And so what you want to make sure of is that whether you're using an outline or whatever type of notes you're using, Mm -hmm. that they're now compact concise that you can find things easily while studying Mm -hmm. because you don't want to be in a position where you can't remember something about a certain topic and you have to go and look back at the case book or the textbook and it's going to take you a long time and I think it will hurt your studying more than help. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that you go through all your notes and this is well before I should say a few weeks before you actually take the exam. Mm -hmm. Go through your notes, see what's missing Uh, If you have any questions for your professor to start asking them now Mm -hmm. so that you can start filling in the gaps. Mm -hmm. And and that should really help your notes be more concise. Right. I totally agree. And here's my tip. In addition to that, I would talk to professors and ask them questions and maybe make them like me. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Well... Some professors do say that if you've been participating a lot in class right. and you know contributing a lot, that they will they will be willing to actually bump up your grade right. by half half a letter. So let's say you were to get a B plus, mm-hmm. you would get an A minus. Right. So that could always help, but not every professor does it the same. Right. And usually professors will say at the beginning of the semester how they plan on implementing a grading system. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And talking with them just help you studying. So it's very, very beneficial, I think. Yeah. Also, if this isn't the time to change uh, strategies, so to speak. So if you've been using a a group to study with, Mm -hmm. perhaps you should stay with that. If you have not, then it's probably not a good idea to all of a sudden switch to a study group. 
if you haven't been using it because sometimes what would happen is you may get caught up in the different styles that mm-hmm. people have been taking their notes in or, or studying in. And perhaps if you're joining a group that's already been together, they're already at a certain point <clears throat> where it would be more beneficial for you to sort of start at the beginning mm-hmm. to make sure you have a good grasp of the material. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you've been studying by yourself, you should probably stay you know, with just your own way of studying. Right. Unless you can make it work so that if you're joining a group, uh, their system is the system you've been using. Mm-hmm. So that would that would be good. But otherwise, I'd say stick with your strategy. Right. All right. Nice. Now, as you get closer and closer to exam day, you want to make sure you have the technology down. So if you, let's say you're taking the exam on your laptop, Make sure it's working correctly. Mm-hmm. Typically, a law school will have their chosen software mm-hmm. to, on for which students take exams on. Mm-hmm. So, for example, at our school, it's exam four. Mm-hmm. It might be exam soft, something right. along those lines. Right. Make sure you, they have a new version of software every semester. So, make sure you download it, mm-hmm. uh, run a practice exam, make sure everything's working correctly. If you're having problems, contact the IT department in your school, mm-hmm. and they would fix it. So, for example, I actually had a problem yesterday wow. because I changed the password to my school account, uh-huh. and it actually kept my computer from linking to the Wi-Fi, the school's mm-hmm. Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go. I actually went to the IT department, and they, they fixed it for me, but... These are the things that you want to make sure happen before, well before you're taking the exam. You don't want these things happening the day of the exam. And also, general tip that I always do is that you always take an Ethernet cable mm-hmm. to the room where you're taking the exam. So that if you're using Wi-Fi and the Internet goes out, you won't be interrupted. Because usually what will happen is they will tell you, the practice will tell you, if your computer starts acting a little weird and... You, you're not able to continue to type the exam on your computer, mm-hmm. you would have to then start writing it in a blue book, mm-hmm. which is basically by hand. Right. And so you're basically continuing what you were typing, except now you're writing it by hand. Right. And that could be a little jarring. You know, while you're writing, depending on your writing style, uh, it might take you longer to write than to type. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, you know, you can't go back with a computer and edit what you've written. You can't, you know, you don't want to leave it all messy or you're crossing things out and then it'll make it harder for the professor to read your exam answer. So that's always something to keep in mind. Right. Yeah. And usually for one else, their second semester, the, the second group of finals they're taking are usually easier. Mm-hmm. At least I know for me it was that way because now you know what to expect, mm-hmm. what worked out, what didn't work out first time around. And so I think it would be better. It's usually better for returning exam test takers, Mm -hmm. Uh, but for the future one else out there, if your undergraduate uh, studies haven't been that writing heavy, Mm -hmm. so if you've been taking final exams that are usually just multiple choice or some other form of exam, uh, make sure you you just practice writing somehow, you know, Mm -hmm. if you want to keep a journal maybe that usually helps but you want to be able to start getting into the habit of writing out issues making sure you explain your answers fully 
not to leave anything out uh, because I think that's the biggest difference from college to law school. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Exam tips. All right. Now for the actual exam, depending on the professor, there will be different instructions on the instruction sheet, which will usually be the first page of the exam booklet. Uh, make sure that you read them very carefully. You look at how many points each question is. Mm-hmm. That way you know what time to allot to each question. And sometimes professors will do that for you. They will, they will have next to the question like a uh, recommended time uh, usage so that you don't go over. But that's a big problem I think some students have is that they take too much time with one question and then they don't have enough time for the other questions. And that could really hurt your grade, especially if you're spending a lot of time on a question that's worth less than other questions. You know, that will hurt your grade if, if you don't do it right. So make sure you, you stay aware of the time and that you're timing yourself properly. Mm-hmm. I would want to say that never try to cheat on your exams because this may have really, really terrible consequences. Such as, you wouldn't be able to take your bar exam even after you graduate from law school. It's very serious. So, it would be better if you get C rather than cheating. F. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I think it's a little murky in that area. Especially if you're taking the exam on a laptop. Because there are some exams where the professors will allow you to use your outlines, use your notes your case books and sometimes even the so usually the way the software works is that it'll lock the rest of your computer so you won't while you're taking the exam you won't be able to look around in your computer but there is an option in the software to allow you to do that it's usually called open laptop so if you are doing that you know don't don't copy and paste from the internet uh, if if you are able to access the internet but usually the exams will be closed laptop, and that usually means that the rest of your computer will be locked away. But for sure, don't cheat. You know, don't plagiarize. Don't try and copy answers from a classmate that's sitting next to you. Right. So, and yeah. you know, this is a point in your career where you you have to start building integrity and be honest with yourself so that you know what you need working mm-hmm. and. Try and better yourself. So this shouldn't be a problem anyway, but just in case. So I think the the hardest issue that a student may have with essay questions is that the way essay questions work usually is that they're they're in the format of a so-called issue spotter, which basically means that the professor will have a, a fact pattern for you to read. And then your job is to find the issues point them out, and w- when you're writing about them, you have to actually use the law to answer them. But, you know, usually there are different formats that students have used in the past. There's IRAC, which is Issue, Rule, Analysis, and Conclusion. Uh, this is also used in the legal writing classes. There are other formats. If you remember, well, there was uh, CRAC. Mm-hmm. But usually when you ask professors, their typical answer is that they don't really care what format you use. But the reason it's effective is because it forces you to stick 
to a certain uh, format. So if you're used to writing not in a logical sequence, so it, it'll, it keeps you from jumping around in your, in your answer. You know, you want to be able to, if you're going to start talking about one issue, it forces you to stick with that issue, talk about it fully, and then once you're finished with it, move on to the next issue. So, and I think IRAC is the one that I always use, and I think it's the best one in my opinion. Yeah. I always use the IRAC too. Mm. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So, one thing that law students, especially 1Ls, are worried about is picking their fall classes right. for the fall semester. So this usually takes place during the summer after, you know, you get back your grades, you get back your rankings and <laughs> things like that, uh, which it, which shouldn't be something, you know, don't worry about that as much because, mm-hmm. you know, based on the grading curve, not everyone can get A's, right? Mm-hmm. So what you should do is do your best. Um, you know, take the exam without worrying too much about how it's affecting everything else, mm-hmm. which it is important, but on exam day, that's not something you want to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. So when you're picking your classes, you know, I was fortunate enough to know what area of law I wanted to go into, mm-hmm. but typically law students will say that they're not sure. And so for, for example, with me, our, my school offers uh, certificates, which is basically kind of like a major, like an undergraduate major, and mine is business law. Mm-hmm. Now, before I went to law school, I knew that was the certificate I wanted to do and, and everything. So it already tells you what classes you have to take. At least, like you know, like a major, you have the foundation classes that you have to take. And then you have a choice of taking electives and things like that. But I would say... The best classes to take generally are corporations, mm-hmm. evidence, uh, professional responsibility, but that's something that your school will require anyway. But I think it's better to take it two a year. A lot of people take that class three a year, mm-hmm. which I don't think is that good because the aim with that class is that you will have to take the MPRE sometime before the bar. And I think it's better to take it two a year. Like this, if you have issues with it, you know, it didn't go right and you didn't pass the first time around, you don't have to worry about it when you get closer to the bar exam because then you have to worry about the bar exam. Right. So if you need to retake it, you can retake it during the year. I know it's offered three times a year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Professional responsibility, I would take two a year. Do you have any classes that you would recommend? I would recommend... Take what you want to take. That's my recommendation. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't worry about the grades. I wouldn't worry about uh, what professor, which professor will teach. But I only worry about what classes I would like to learn, what law I am interested in. So, yeah, I did it, and I think it turned out okay. Mm-hmm. And you knew you were going to do IP law right. even before law school, right? Yes. Right. Yes. So we were both fortunate that right. we knew what we wanted to do. But right. two a year, I think you want to start taking classes that are in the bar. Mm-hmm. You know, things like, like I said, evidence, corporations. If you check in your state's bar, you know, you see they tell you what topics are going to be on it. 
So if, if you're not sure what area of law you want to go into, then I, I would say take classes that will be on the bar exam. Mm. Like this, maybe along the way, you will, uh, you will realize what area is more interesting for you. And in the meantime, you know, you're not wasting credit time and credits on electives that aren't really that helpful. You know, th there are those classes that are like law and economics, law and gender, which are nice, but I'm not sure how, uh, how practical they are. That's just my personal opinion. And so I would save those classes for three all year when, you know, you just need to take credits and you'll, you'll already be finished with the other requirements. But yeah, make sure, you know, just check the state's bar, see what topics are there. And it's always nice to get a head start. Some people may think law and gender is practical. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, if, if that's the area you're interested in, then by all means, go ahead. But don't, don't get into that habit of taking classes that are easy to get A's in. That's another thing. Uh, I try and take classes that are challenging just because I want to be able to push myself. Um, and I'm always interested in learning new things and I don't necessarily want to waste my my time with a class that you know you can you, you get an easy A in because I don't think that's how real life will be you know it'll be challenging when you're working there won't be an easy A so yeah that would be my advice but as Will said you know you do what you want and you follow your own path right and so for our final topic, we're going to talk about class lessons. So specifically, we're going to pick, pick a class each that we've taken this, this semester. And we're going to just talk about some general things we've learned and, and perhaps uh, some specific scenarios that we went over. Right. I picked conflict of laws. Mm -hmm. This is very interesting class. Here is some of the ideas of conflict of laws. Okay, let's say Tim and Mary, both teenagers, went to a imaginary state mm -hmm. where teenagers can get married. Mm -hmm. And let's say they got married there, and would they be legally and validly married under restatement first of conflict of laws? The answer would be, under Section 123, their marriage would be valid. Because Section 123 says their marriage would be valid in the imaginary states, so it would be valid every other states. And second issue is, let's say, Jim and Pam are domiciled in New York City. And let's say they go to Scranton to get some food. And Pam makes an apple pie and gave it to Jim. But then Jim got sick. Let's say New York, the law requires negligence. Mm -hmm. And in Scranton, all servers of food are strictly liable for injuries caused by serving bad food. So what law would a New York court apply? The answer would be the, the law that governs Scranton. That's Scranton, Pennsylvania? Yes. Because this hypo is related to a conduct regulating rule. And when conduct regulating is at issue, 
New York courts would apply the law of the place of the tort.、Mm. So we learn this kind of thing in conflict of laws class. That's very interesting. And so, so for example, getting back to that marriage one,、mm-hmm. you said if they get married in imaginary state, then all the other states will have to honor that、uh, marriage. That's correct. And is that because of the full faith and credit clause in the Constitution? You know, there are many issues you have to think about before concluding it. But this is this issue we only thought about first restatement. I might take that class. All right. So the class I want to talk about is transactional skills for startups.、Mm-hmm. Basically, this class was focused on the startup scene. So startups are basically new companies. That are formed, they're based around an idea. Let's say the founders come up with an invention or a certain way of, you know, an idea, and they want to. Usually, a client will come in and they will need help with setting up some form of company,、mm-hmm. uh, protecting their IP, and getting financing, especially. So, I think the biggest thing I found interesting was that these companies, because they're new. They don't have a lot of money to work with,、mm-hmm. so what will end up happening is that they will they will try and get the support of investors.、Mm-hmm. There are venture capitalist firms, there are angel investors, and these pe- these are people who actually for a living invest in other companies.、Mm-hmm. So the way it would work is that once you set up a company, let's say a corporation, then you try and get the lawyers will try and get、uh, financing rounds. So there will be like a seed round, which is the initial one, and there will be different series of rounds where you try and work out a deal with the investors because usually the investors their goal is to come in, invest the money, and then once the company starts being profitable,、mm-hmm. let's say right before the company goes public, they will want to cash out, you know, make their profit and move on to another company. They're not really long-term investors. That's not their strategy. Their strategy is short-term, and to try and make as much money as they can. So usually, what they will end up asking for is preferred stock. Preferred stock is a level above common stock. So the founders they will actually get the common stock some other time, and the the job of the lawyer is very interesting in that area because not only will they have to Get the best they can for the clients, which are usually the founders. But they will also have to know that investors—they—they're not going to give up a lot of things. They're going to have a lot of demands, and sometimes those demands line up with market. Uh, like they're custom made for the market. So, for example, asking for certain things—that's what usually happens, even though it may be a little harsh for the for the founders. But the lawyer's job is basically to try and make everyone happy, but at the same time get the best deal possible for his clients, his or her clients. And other things that、uh, startups or even other companies get involved in is debt, which is bonds, issuing bonds, or something along those lines. And sometimes what will happen is they'll be in the form of convertible bonds, which basically means that. It's initially going to be in the form of a bond, but with the option that later on the person can convert that bond into stock, which 
can make for some interesting situations. Um, interesting. Also, I think the biggest part is protecting the IP of the company. So the lawyer will have to try and look at, is there like a trademark? Is there a copyright? What's going on? Like, what's behind the company? Is there a certain way of doing things? Is it a brand that they need to protect? And usually it's a combination of all those things. So as you may know, Will, the company will have to apply to the United States Patent Office if they want to try and get a patent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will have to, and when doing that especially, they have it's the lawyer's job to check that there's not a brand out there that's very similar to their own brand because otherwise you'll have conflicts and there might be patent infringement uh, going on. So it's better to catch that in the beginning and not find out later when you get a cease and desist letter and then you don't know what's going on. You know, you, you might get into trouble. And then all the everything you worked for is basically ruined, right. you know. Uh, so, yeah, that's another big area in the startup scene. And the final area that was pretty interesting, which is an area that we're talking about now in class, is that of mergers and acquisitions. Sometimes a company will get to a point where the founders think it's beneficial to merge with another company or to sell the company, either through its assets or through its stock. And it's always interesting to see how the lawyers for both sides interact, because obviously the buyer wants to have assurances, he wants to be protected. You know, things like IP, you want to make sure that the seller warrants, has like a warranty, that the IP is safe, um, that there aren't any infringements going on. Other warranties that the company will want is that there is nothing illegal going on in the company that will come back to haunt the buyer because the buyer doesn't want to deal with those things later on, obviously. And so, and what will happen is that the lawyers for both sides, that they have to really sit down together and negotiate an agreement. And what they will have to negotiate will be almost every single line of that agreement, depending on the clauses they want to use. Let's say arbitration, what laws is it going to go under? Uh, things like the warranties and representations, uh, fees, things like that. So it really plays out in an interesting way, I think. Very interesting area. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that's all we have for today. Um, Again, we want to thank you for listening. As we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, the channel will actually be changing going into next season. And it will be more practical, practice focused. Mm -hmm. And as always, we'll try and bring in guests, uh, make the episodes interesting and unique in their own way. And we hope that you'll come back and join us. We're excited to keep this project going. Yes. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to us. And yeah. See you soon. Yeah. Good luck to everyone who's taking exams. Uh, We need it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Good luck, Benny. Thanks. All right. All right. See you later. Take care. Bye. Stay tuned. Essentials.